our DT systems, the Rap 1400 or 1400 if you like doing it that way, but it's the Rap 1400. It's a collar that is super reliable, ready to rock, and it's super handy because you can hold it in your hand while you're shooting your shotgun during duck season. So it's a cool unit for you and your dog come hunting season so that you've got control over any situation. Anything the dog throws at you during the hunt is right there, easy and accessible. Bingo, bango, bongo. If you don't want that one, check out the H. 201820. It's the DT Systems and it's dog tested, dog tough. Gunner Kennels, baby. Hashtag man's best kennel. Well, it's also now hashtag man's best food crate. It's freaking raccoon proof. You can't get into this thing. Your dog can't bust into the lid and eat all the food. Trust me, I know Memphis has done it in the past. She looks like a blown up pumpkin. Boom. But not anymore. We've got the Gunner Kennel food crate. It's easy to pack, easy to store, keeps food dry, which food's an investment, man. That Purina, baby, it ain't cheap anymore. So keep it dry, good, all that stuff, easy to pack, easy to store. The Gunner Kennel Food Crate, slide into DMs if you'd like to learn more. Have you wondered if you want to force fetch your dog? Maybe you think your dog's too soft. Maybe you're too nervous to screw, quote unquote, screw your dog up. Let me help you. I built a start to finish course with different dogs, different breeds, and different personalities from start to finish to show you how that you and your dog can do it successfully and easy. Jump in, links in the description. We'd be happy to help you. Let's go. Let's set goals and get you and your dog where you want to be this duck season. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another wonderful episode of Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles. Uh, Kevin and I are here and excited, to say the least. We got two big duck hunters on the podcast. You got Billy Campbell at The Fowl Hunter and Dennis Luzier, old Dr. Duck. We're excited to have them on, hear their backstory, um, learn a little bit about how they duck hunt and the dogs that they have loved and hunted over. Um, Billy, why don't you start us off? Tell everybody a little bit about yourself, my friend. Yeah, man, I, I appreciate uh, you guys having us on. It's going to be a good time for sure. But I I grew up in the Arkansas area, honestly, uh, chasing deer and squirrels. Never uh, in Arkansas, I was never exposed at an early age to waterfowl hunting. And, uh, it wasn't until probably early to mid-20s that a mutual friend of Dennis and I has introduced me to Dennis as a guy that was wanting to get into duck hunting. And he thought I was the only guy crazy enough to probably hang out with him. So it's kind of how that got together. Me and Dennis met and went on a duck hunt and been hunting together ever since. That's cool. So how long ago was that? Uh, it had been, I guess, early to mid-90s. Oh, dang. Kevin probably uh, wasn't even born, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> but we, uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't, my, I lost my father at an early age. And, and uh, you know, we just, like I said, we hadn't been exposed to waterfowl hunting. And we didn't, we didn't have any friends at, at the time, really, that did a lot of duck hunting. And East Texas, we just kind of right between two flyways, in my opinion. And it's not a huge area 
you know, compared to some of the other things you read about and see on TV and stuff and stuff. So Dennis will tell you, he is kind of like going to, you know, we learned through the school of hard knocks, you know, we, we just spent a lot of time together and made a lot of mistakes for several years, you know, figuring it all out and, and, uh, never didn't really have the access to a lot of private property. So we were making those mistakes on public and, and it's kind of come full circle for us. We, we were very fortunate and blessed to have some successes finally when we, when really I say we, but when really Dennis started figuring out, it's kind of why we started calling him the doctor. He, you know, he was, he's very competitive and he worked really hard to, he wanted to be successful. You know, all the shows you watch, uh, growing up and on TV, even at that age, you know, all the waterfowl hunting shows you watch, it, a lot of guys really beating them up on private and not having access to that private. We wanted to be successful and learn to beat them up real well in public. And, and uh, you know, when I say come full circle, one of the things that we try and do is, you know, we want to we want to share with others, you know, trying to figure it out on our own. We didn't have a lot of help. And guys and hunting hunting in general especially waterfowl they're not real quick to give you a lot of information you know so yeah exactly and, it's like when i shoot a couple ducks i'm like nah we didn't really see any over there man i want to go <laughs> over there that's right and and that's fine i mean I, we're not you know we don't we don't give out the x and uh you know we don't share a lot of information like that but there's no reason that we can't help a lot of these younger guys that are getting into this new be successful you know and that, that's kind of what we try and do absolutely absolutely well i think that's awesome and all kidding aside i i do think there's plenty to go around and and educating and giving people the confidence to get into the outdoors and and grab a used shotgun and some hand-me-down camo and, and try it themselves is it's only going to promote more conservation and as we all know everybody listening it's we're dwindling numbers man we're doing that's right. There's more tree huggers that want to stop hunting than guys and girls out there promoting it. So, you know, I think if we can give a little information to maybe spur that kid who is interested but didn't know where to go, so I think that's cool. Oh, you nailed it, my man. I mean, it's you know the numbers. I think I think the what I was reading with DU this year, you know, it's less than like less than five percent. You know that that hunt ducks at any time so you know you nailed it just the more we can share to help these guys get into it enjoy it love it uh, you know it's it's self-funded so you know that that way we just we just keep it happening and keep it growing and keep it going for generations to come couldn't agree more well that was a cool little intro billy um yeah no pressure uh dennis i've had the <laughs> flu since last duck season Okay, and I need oh, the doctor man. to help me, bro. Oh man, <laughs> well it's kind of hard to back clean up when Billy does sold all my lines. So, uh, <laughs> so he he done a great job of that. But uh, you know, I, you know, Bob, I grew up in a small town called Brownsboro, uh, Texas, and the population there is probably when I was growing up is two hundred. Uh, they probably broke the five hundred mark today. So. It's a slow-growing little town. It's raised on a little farm. Uh, you know, we had every kind of animal that you can speak of. And uh, as I was growing up, we, we mainly coon hunted. And um, we had coon dogs. And, of course, we, we chased squirrels in the day. And, and we coon hunted at night. And 
you know, back when I was growing up, coon highs were pretty expensive. You know, I was, I was making a hundred dollars probably, uh, a weekend or more. There's $25 a hide. So I was doing pretty good. So, um, but as I got older, you know, I kind of got into deer hunting a little bit, but it just wasn't exciting to me nothing against the deer hunters out there, but, uh, you know, it just didn't, didn't drive me. And then, um, I went duck hunting one time and, and it was just, it just, it, it just sold my heart. Basically, I just got to where I like to, you know, call them in, work them in just like Billy does. And, and, you know, and, and the competition of trying to get them down into your decoys, trying to fool them and, and all that kind of good stuff. It just kind of motivated me, motivated me more to, to get out there and fall in love with it even more. So, um, so that's basically how we got into it. And then it's just grown from there been blessed to, to meet several guys and and one of those exciting times is just meeting different guys so we just having a good time with that that's awesome that this kevin here I, I completely agree that's such a cool way to to get into hunting and to get into the outdoors and and duck hunting especially but i'm interested in in real quick about the coon dogs and stuff is that kind of do you think that that maybe solidified love for dogs and and an interest in that you know, I've been around hunting dogs all my life, and that's, you know, and that's part of it, too, as far as waterfowl hunting with me is having, you know, sharing that with the dog as well. And, you know, just growing up, you know, we'd, we'd have four or five coon dogs, and, you know, like I said, I was raised up on a small farm, so they was never in a pen or on a chain. I mean, it's like, you know, wherever you went, they followed, you know, and they just become your best friend, kind of like. So, uh, so it made it. You know, so getting in, you know, I guess that's one of the things that didn't drive me towards deer hunting is just, you know, you're there by yourself, basically. Uh, you're sharing those experiences by yourself. And, you know, waterfowl hunting is, you know, I got to enjoy it over the years with Billy and other friends. And then, of course, having dogs to share it with, too. And there's nothing better than or nothing more special than having a dog to hunt with and share those times with you as well. You know, and, and then, you know, Timber, I mean, she's like part of our family. I mean, she stays in the house with us. I mean, she she's right by our side the whole time. And, and you know, both my boys and my wife, they just love her. I mean, she's just like a daughter to, to the family. So um, I think JB, my oldest son, lives in Dallas, but he comes home about every other weekend. I think he's more excited to be see the dog than he is us. So <laughs> that's just, And that's just how important she is to the family. And, of course, you know, all the dogs I've had through my life, I was – I've had some good ones and, uh, um, you know, guy, uh, you know, the, you know, the saying always says, you know, the good Lord's only going to give you one. Well, I'll be honest with you. I think the good Lord's blessed me through my life to, to continue to bless me with great dogs. And, uh, I just, I, mean, I just, that's one of the reasons why I love waterfowl. That's, I mean, that's why I started this company years and years ago was I call it the unspoken bond. So, you know, it's, it's the relationship and the memories we make training them and raising them and taking them on their first hunt. And then, you know, when they're three or four and they're really hitting their prime and, you know, having all your buddies watch them do well, the dogs is what makes it for sure. Yeah. So I, I, you know, and of course I got into hog hunting for a little while and, and, you know, that was fun and competition, you know, where I used to work, there was a bunch of buddies of us. We got together when you, we run up and down the river there and we chased hogs for a few years and, uh, and it was fun too. And I, I really enjoyed it. And, but I'm just telling you, I, I dropped everything when we started waterfowl hunting. They just, it's got me by the heart and, and, um, and that's just where my passion's at. So it's in waterfowl. 
can we digress into the hog hunting a little bit? Because we don't have that up here, and I've yet <laughs> to be on a hog hunt. Talk to us about that. <clears throat> well, back in the day, uh, we used to get off work, and, uh, you know, I used to work in the prison system uh, down in Tennessee Colony. And uh, we would, we'd had three or four buddies that, uh, it's called Big Lakes down there. And we would have, he'd have boats, four wheelers and stuff. We'd ride up and down the river and uh, drop off on the spot, let the dogs run for a while. If we got on hogs, we, we stayed there. If not, we got back in the boat with the dogs and ran up the river for a little, you know, we just kept going up and down the river until we found a group. And of course, down there in Trinity, on the Trinity River, I mean, finding hogs wasn't a big issue. I mean, there's just thousands of them here, and it's just gotten worse in the last few years. So, um, you know, it's got to a point now where people's trying to, you know, just uh, trying to keep the population maintained. I mean, they're, you know, they're tearing up golf courses, neighborhoods, and everything else. They're getting in flower beds now. There's so many down here. That's unreal. What is the, yeah. are you shooting them, or are the dogs holding on to them, and you going in with, like, the buoy knife? Yeah, we uh, we used uh, we we'd have a couple pit bulls that would catch them, hold them, and we'd go in with the knife and you know and just uh, and then take care of them that way. Um, it's just too much commotion going on with the gun because more or less, uh, you probably if you used to pull the trigger and shoot the hog, you're probably gonna hit a dog first. So you know we just use knives only, and that's the way most people do it in these in Texas. Uh, now since the uh, night scopes have came out. Uh, you know, and with those heated scopes, a lot of guys around here going at nighttime and shooting them in the fields now, uh, which that's helping a lot, I think. But still, there's just the population growing is just it's it's crazy. So, I think that the state for a while was trying to debate about some way of some form of trying to poison them because it's got the population has got out of control. But if you do that, then you affect other things like coats, hawks, and everything else, buzzards. So if you poison them, you're going to poison all those too as well. So they backed off from that. Yeah, that doesn't seem – it doesn't seem no. logical. And, you know, and then for a while, all the states were allowed a bounty on them for years. Of course, that didn't last very long. They ran out of money because everybody was bringing <laughs> ears in. So – you know, it's just, it's just no, there's, I just don't know what the resolution is going to be on that, but yeah, it's, it's getting pretty bad around here. Wow. Wow. I got to be honest with you again. I, I've never done it. I've just seen it on videos and stuff. Mm -hmm. I got some serious respect for a man who a gets in the middle of a pit bull and a pig and then B <laughs> has the gonads to get them like that i mean that's just it's the adrenaline rush has to be unbelievable yeah at first it is uh but man you, you, but there you go again you, you talk about the dogs uh you know it's it's a trust that you know you got with your dog and 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 the, you know those dogs just they're not gonna allow anything to happen to you and um you know the bond that you talked about earlier between you know, a dog and a man, you know, those dogs, they love you. And, uh, you know, they, they'll lay down anything they got for you. So to me, when I went in, I was a hundred percent confident. It wasn't really scary for me because I just, I just knew the dogs would, they, they do their job and they do it well. And they, they held the pig down. So it was really no big deal. Um, you know, we got some guys that come out the first time and then of course I'd go in and pick up the back legs, throw them on the side. And then, you know, we'd let the other guy that hadn't done it before, come in and, and do his part but um 
after that first time, the, the guys that see it for the first time, the second time, they do it on their own. They, they realize what the dogs can do and how really strong they are. So there's no, no, no issues. Good Lord. You guys are men down there. I'm just <laughs> us New Yorkers, man. We we don't worry about that stuff. Damn. Well, you don't. I don't. I don't think you won't. You know, just because how struct- destructive they are. I mean, you know, we got a lot of. You know, we got a few golf courses around East Texas. Plus, we got a lot of hay fields. You know, and you know those hogs. They get in there and they they just destroy everything. And you're talking about millions of dollars on the golf course. Uh, I know there's a period of time where there's one golf course was contract contracting my brother out because he continued to do it after I left. Um, you know, when I started waterfowl hunting, but, um, but yeah, they, they was just having him come in like two or three days a week to run the dogs and get run the pigs out of there because they was tearing up the golf course. That's unbelievable. Yeah. And they, it was millions of dollars worth of damage. I mean, they do it to the fields. You can't cut hay when they get in there and tear up the fields cause you tear up the blades on the cut on the, on the grass where, uh, where they come and lay the grass down. Uh, you, you just can't do it anymore. That's crazy. So. Yeah, they had to take a bunch of rubber tires, you tire chains to them. You make this big old, looks like a big old tire way up thing. I mean, it just spreads out beyond the tractor and behind the tractor, and it's used as, as a drag. And that's how they smooth the fields back down after the hauls get uh, get through tearing it up. So because it's so rough, you can't drive a tractor or it hardly. So you just you have to do that. That's how they that's how they smooth them back out. That's all, I mean I again I don't think none of us around here can fathom the destruction uh, that they can cause. And I've got friends in South Carolina and Georgia and they've got pigs, but I've, it just doesn't seem to be as detrimental as what is going on in Texas. You know, it's, it's not, it's, uh, it's, it's a serious problem that we got. So if a disease, if the disease started with the pigs, I don't know how they would, get control of it i mean it would just be you know it would be terrible you know it would be interesting. it would definitely it would definitely get into the cows it would definitely i mean i just don't know how you would control anything because i mean it's just so many of them and i and, and, you know and i can't remember but it's up in the, the population's up in the millions i haven't looked it up in a while but it's it's absolutely crazy so you have to imagine you know pigs have other pigs every six months so that's how fast you know they have a litter every six months. So the first, and then in a in a, in a baby sow, she can have her first litter at six months. So that's how fast they populate. Yeah. You know, must be good to be a male pig. I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. Oh. All right, let's dive back into some duck hunting. Good lord. Well, that was cool though. I mean, it's such an education for us. You know, it's, yes, fun, it's fun to hear different parts of the country and, uh, you know, it has got to be fun and adventure to just ramble out there in the outdoors and, and get after it, especially when you can pair, parlay it with dogs too. Yes. Yes. And that's what attracted me to pig hunting a lot was just because we got to use dogs a lot. So, us, you know, we went from, we went from coon hunting to hog hunting basically. And, and then of course I, you know, like I said, I fell into duck hunting. So, um, I think I eventually found my true passion, so cool. that's that's where we're at today. All right, so I'm going to ask this question for both of you. All right, Billy, we'll have you go first. All right. Do you remember the first duck hunt you went on with a dog that truly 
showed you a dog's capabilities out there in the field, and can you tell us a little bit about that story? The yes, the uh, that that guy I told you that introduced me to Dennis. Uh, we took a trip to Arkansas, and uh, some of the guys we met over in Arkansas had dogs. I didn't have a dog at the time. I don't even believe. I don't think Dennis had a dog at the. Did you have a dog at time, Dennis? Remember when we went over to Stuttgart with Richie? No, uh, Molly. Did you have Molly then? Yeah. Well, I remember those. Molly Molly was certainly a special dog, but I remember the guys over there. Those those work you know, they were guys and, and they had working dogs that were very disciplined, very steady, and made quite an impression over there i mean that, you know those guys over at stuttgart they you know we were coming from east texas we were uh pretty new into waterfowl hunting and the numbers that we see over here ain't nothing like you know you can see over there and uh just seeing all those ducks and how steady those dogs were was was pretty impressive to me how far away is stuttgart from where you guys are in texas uh what do you reckon Dennis? four hours yeah, four and a half, four and a half to maybe five. Just depends on the traffic and how many times you stop. But yeah, if you if you bowl down, didn't stop, get gas, or pulled over anything, yeah, you probably push it, and make it there about four. But if if you're like me, you got to stop every once in a while. It's about four and a half to five. That's not too bad. I'd be there <laughs> all the time too. Yeah. Good deal. All right, <laughs> Billy. Same question goes to you. Or, excuse me, Dennis, my bad. I told you I'd mess that up. Anyway. <laughs> That's okay. Dennis, now you're up. So, the first time you hunted with a dog or even your dog where it was like, this is this is it. Well, actually, it wasn't on a hunt. I was down at a, a friend's house in Brownsboro. And uh, it was, we was at an old shop and we was at an old, at an old farmer's house. And anyways, they a guy came over there. And actually, he came over there to cook duck and everything for the family. And uh, he brought his dog, and um, and he got out there, and he brought some stuff with him, and some bumpers and stuff. And man, he his name they never forget the dog's name. The dog's name was Zeus, and uh, he he brought him, and he ran a few few uh, marks with him, and and I just I fell in love with it. And once I saw that, I was like, I gotta have one. And that's how I ended up with Molly. <clears throat> and. Um, and he just, you know, continued to tell stories about his dog and everything else. And that's that's how I fell in love with it. And, and that's the reason I, I, I got one that following year. Uh, I think it was probably year two that me and Billy hunted together. I think next year I had I had Molly. Uh, and that's the reason I had hers, because I think of Zeus. That's cool. Did you guys self-teach your dogs? Yeah, the first one, Molly, we we did. We uh, I got the book Water Dog. Oh, yeah. And uh, I read that book. And because... Uh, at that time, I couldn't afford a trainer, so I, we basically, uh, you know, we I just had to do it on my own, basically. And you know, of course, I I I couldn't do the job that you guys do. I, I didn't do half the job that you guys potentially do. But uh, Molly turned out to be pretty good, and for us, you know, for what we needed. Um, and as the years grown, I, you know, I got another dog that was just a little bit better. And of course, I got Timber, that now is was trained by a trainer. And she's by far probably the best one I've ever had. And far as being finished and complete, uh, 
can do anything that you ask her to do. So she's, she, you know, she's going on, she'll be six this November. So she's fully tuned on. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how it's grown from that is that one day in Brownsboro at the farm, I, you could say, and, and seeing that dog Zeus work and do the things he could do. And, and he knew the backs, the overs, the whole, the whole tricks and everything. So that impressed me. So I knew right then I had to have one. That's really cool. That's really cool. Um, you know, one of the things that we've had guys talk about on the podcast um, is birds make a bird dog. And, you know, I do it for a living, and I can train them. But a real hunt, you can't you can't even come close to in training, sitting still, watching a bunch of decoys get put out, having ducks land in the spread and waiting for more, or, you know, birds you're not supposed to shoot flying by, and... You know, there's so much to a real hunt, and I'd imagine you guys uh, obviously follow along. You guys lay them down, and so the more birds those dogs pick up, the more natural those instincts come out, the more ferocious they are for finding cripples and chasing them and, you know, birds diving on them. And, you know, there's they learn so much and, and the instincts come out so much on a real hunt where you can get them on birds. Yeah. I, I yeah, you, you can't, I don't, like you said, I don't think you could, you can't do that in training. I basically copy of a true hunt. And uh, what I've learned over the years is we, we've made sure. And just like, you know, Billy's new dog last year, tough. We, well, you know, you just got to make sure you're making good close shots. Um, making short retrieves, nothing difficult on them, just so they can build their confidence up. And, you know, and then if there is a crippled out there that's not very far, let him go get it. Let him understand the water, the duck's going to dive on him. You know, don't, don't, don't shoot the duck. Let him work for it. And uh, just little things like that, the experience and those, they figure out later on that duck's going to pop back up again. You know, after he went under the water, you know, that's a big moment for a puppy. Um, you know, so like you said, you know, just jumping over logs, going through the brush, making a, you going through all that stuff, making a retrieve, and then returning back to the platform is is big. So uh, we 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 try to learn just keep it simple uh, for the first couple of years, and then after they hit that third year mark, it just seems like the light switch goes on, and you, you don't have you don't have to worry about it. They know what to do, you know. So and just time and experience and making it easy as possible so they get their confidence is the best way. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things to to parlay what you just said, one of the things I'll do before the dog goes home, so they've been in the program, my my gun dog program's four months. So they've been collar conditioned, force fetched, steady, they're almost ready, and they're handling ducks like a dream. I'll take a live duck and I'll tie the wings up and kind of hobble the feet and throw mm-hmm. them in the water, and that duck can get away pretty well but not well enough and it'll dive it'll circle it'll swim it'll it'll give a dog a run for its money and you can see that little dog like go from uh what is going on to nothing is standing (laughs) in my way Uh, yeah but in a real hunt scenario i mean that that really helps the light bulb go off yes i agree no 100 percent. dennis mentioned you know tough and and tough was the first dog that i had that, that i sent to a trainer and they did a they did a good job but we hunted tough he was only uh 
we I put him in when he was six months and and so he wasn't even a year uh when we took him and we waited till towards the end of the season take him last year but you know they're such fast learners and that that situation that you're talking about you know we we tried to keep it just me and dennis uh on tough's first weekend out and the first day you know you could tell tough was just a little confused you know he was out of the training elements he'd been in for you know the three or four months period and and uh but day two he you know he retrieved 12 out of 12 ducks and got to see some of what you're talking about but you know my point is just after that first day in the field you could see you could really see that pup putting that stuff together yeah it i always say it takes three or four good hunts where you have as much control over the situation as possible right like not six guys in a blind um a couple guys who you know can hit some birds and can kind of work them in close enough dump a few in the decoys and then you're going to start seeing that dog like looking around and not and kind of being bored not sure what's going on to watching the sky you know picking up on your body language and cues it's unbelievable how quick you know they start to understand that safety going off or you know the things you see them over on the right and the dog's like perks up and start shaking you know what i mean like they they pick up on that stuff so quick oh if i if i touch that safety and it clicks i timber's ears perk up and she starts looking and she'll look she'll know she watches the barrel of that gun too i could take that barrel of that gun she'll watch it swing because she knows if that safety clicks and i wherever i point that barrel that's where the ducks have got to be so she's watching that gun too it's just funny right. and i've always you know i like laugh at her sometimes because i every once in a while i'll just hit that safety just to see you know and she'll just <laughs> it, it's funny just to watch her but it you know there again she gets mad at me too she, she'll let me have it for faking her out so i kind of got to watch it because she she's a she's a very competitive dog so well uh, you can't play with her but just so much because she will bark at you unless you have it <laughs> now where did you guys get your dogs from believe it or not i you know um Molly had passed away and I still had Jake and, but Jake was getting older in his years. And, um, a buddy of mine had a, a dog from a certain kennel. And, um, so I Googled that kennel and it came up uh, the same kennel name come up in Texas. So I called the guy and asked him if he had any puppies and all that kind of stuff. And he said, he doesn't have any as of yet, but he's got, so female that's bred and we'll be dropping in November. And he told me the, the parents' names and all that. And I said, well, let me call you back. And I Googled the parents' names and they were pretty legit. And I called him back and told him I wanted one. And uh, so I just, I paid, you know, he said, well, send me a $500 deposit. I went ahead and sent the whole amount, paid for up front. And uh, uh, it just, during that season, I went up there and I picked her out. And luckily, uh, I didn't, you know, I was, I was so glad because he only had three puppies. Oh, wow. And he told me if I didn't pay my full amount, if he would have, if I just have paid my deposit because he was wanting to keep three or four of them to train himself, that he probably would have sent my deposit back. But since I paid for the puppy up front, I got to pick up the litter and everything. So he kept the other two. Good so, and then, uh, and that's how I ended up with Timber. She, she had two females and one male, and uh, Timber just uh, she was just in there. And she just she came over. She just she was just the most aggressive, and she was just um, you know she just 
that day, you know, every day changes with a puppy, but that day she was the most perky one. So I put the collar on her and said, I, I'll see you. I'll see you here in a few weeks to come pick her up. And he said, no problem. So, that's so, really so, that's, so that's how I ended up with her. So it, it's been a, it's been a good ride for the last, I'd say, well, she'll be six this November. So it's been five years running. So she's, She's a go-getter. If you if you hunted with her, most guys will tell you she's she's wired for two twenty. Every bit of it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. All right, Billy, tell us a little bit about Tough. Yeah, Tough is a we had a Dennis and I have a mutual friend here we hunt with a lot when we're local, and uh, he's got a he had a buddy, an older gentleman that had a working dog, and uh, he had decided to to breed her with. Uh, a friend of his, uh, he had a buddy who had a dog that he always enjoyed watching it work. He always talked about it, but the guy was real hesitant to breed that dog. He didn't have his paperwork. He had it somewhere, but he didn't know where it was. And he stayed on him about tracking that paperwork down. And, and, uh, anyway, finally the guy gave in, tracked the paperwork down and, and it, uh, it ended up, he had a pretty legit dog. Uh, from a well-known uh, dog here in Texas, and and uh, they ended up breeding it. I went over really just to look. I hadn't made up my mind completely, and and I think they ended up with nine puppies. And uh, he opened that gate, and let them puppies out, and they all scrambled around, and and then one dog come out with his nose to the ground, and he never he never picked his nose up off the ground, and he made his way out, did a couple circles nose still on the ground all the way over my foot and laid down on my boot and i uh i, I couldn't help it i took that dog home that day oh, and uh real. yeah that's that's a story on tough i got i got a funny when uh when dennis had molly we 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 were hunting hard and uh she was a she was just one of the best dogs i mean i i could i could tell you tons of stories on molly she was she was something boy and and uh we we had decided we you know we ran her pretty hard early and, and we thought well we need to get a hold of another dog and and i had actually a guy up in paris texas had bought a lab puppy for uh when about the same time his wife had a baby for some reason they thought it'd be a good idea to have a lab puppy and a baby at the same time uh which you guys probably know better than i do that's probably not the best decision so there at about the six month mark, seven months, he he wanted to get rid of that dog, and I bought a dog. I bought that pup for for 150 bucks, and Dennis talked me into sending it to a trainer. He said, "You need to, you know, because I'd watched him train Molly, and and Molly was a great dog, but you know there were a lot of things that that he wanted her to be able to do that that she wasn't great at necessarily, and he's, you got to take it to a trainer. So Dennis helped me pick out a trainer and. After three weeks, that trainer called me up. He brought that dog back to me. He said, hey, this this dog here is never, never going to retrieve ducks. It's just not going to make it. You know, and I at the time, I was thankful. But I just from playing with that pup, I, it was hard for me to believe. So Dennis turned me on to that book, and I read that same book, Water Dog, and I trained that dog myself. And that dog ended up hunting with us for the next 12 years. Wow. And, uh, and I mean, Dennis will tell you, he was about the most stubborn dog you'll ever meet in your life. 
but he mm-hmm. made some incredible retrieves. And between Molly and and Drake over that, you know, over that period, we didn't we didn't lose many ducks at all. That's awesome. Do you have a most <laughs> memorable retrieve from that dog, Drake? I do actually. We were hunting a, a little public lake, uh, just an hour and a half north northwest of here, and and uh, we had we were hunting a little island in the middle of it. It got shallow up by this island, and that lake got pretty deep out there towards the middle, and and um, it was a, a pretty cold morning for Texas, uh, probably early January, and we had several ducks come in. And, and we shot and we had both dogs and, and, uh, you know, they retrieved all those ducks, but as it works out, you, you can't help yourself. There's always one duck trying to get out and you take that long shot to see if you can finish that last one off on his way out. And we hit and crippled that duck and that duck coasted out to the middle and, uh, landed out there in the deep water. And I don't know if you remember the story I'm talking about, Dennis, you remember that up there? Yeah. I mean, how far you reckon that duck coasted on that lake? Uh, it was a long ways. Long I mean, it was several hundred yards. I mean, the, the duck was getting out of sight, and that dang dog of mine, that stubborn sucker, he wouldn't listen. He was gone swimming, boy. <laughs> and, you know, we were talking to each other, and Dennis like, you got to go get him. You know, you're going to have to go get him. I was just like, yeah. well, give that hard-headed sucker some more time, you know. You get mad at him for not listening. You're telling him not to go. But, uh, you know, I, I'm going to tell you, it was solid. You know, it was more than 25 minutes. <laughs> and uh, I worked my way around the other end of the island to start getting in the boat to go get that thing. And, and Dennis starts hollering, and he's hollering, here he comes. And you can see that sucker swimming up the middle of the lake. And uh, sure enough, he got that duck. He, I mean, and that's just kind of dog he was, man. He that sucker, he get he didn't care what you're gonna do to him, he gonna go get that bird. And he nine times out of ten, or nine point eight out of ten, that dog was gonna bring that duck back. Yeah. That's like he's gonna give you a big old headache in the process, but he gone. That I call it grit. So that, that like fire in their belly to not give up. And you know, a lot of that sometimes can turn into a pain in the butt when you're training, but you know, if they've got what it takes and nothing can stand in their way, man, there's they can do some amazing feats. And and I've got a similar story with my old dog. It was a foggy morning, and we couldn't see him. I mean, he was just gone, gone, gone. And we started to get the boat ready and rocking it out of the cattails, and here he comes. And I'm thinking, okay, cool, you know, screw that duck. You know, it's not worth losing your dog. And as soon right. as he got closer through the fog, you could see him carrying it. It was a ring neck. It was awesome. I'll never That's forget. Crazy. <laughs> Isn't that something? There's a, we hunt we early on especially we hunted a we hunted a lot of beaver ponds and we didn't work so hard, you know, with Molly and Drake early on that you know, holding was not a big thing for us. While we were learning to duck hunt together, we didn't hunt with a lot of other people. So you weren't worried necessarily about the safety of the dog. You know, and it was such thick beaver ponds filled with buck brush that a lot of times if you didn't if you didn't kill that bird dead you know it, it'd be real easy to lose that that duck and and so a lot most more often than not when we shoot the dogs would jump uh and get on those birds as quick as you know that's changed now but but back then that's that's kind of how we ran it and i'll never forget that that same dog 
he got off through the butt brush and you, you know, you can't see them. You can't help them when they're in that stuff, but you know, they're on their own. And, uh, that dog started barking and just kept barking and barking. And that's not something he wasn't a vocal dog at all. I mean, to be honest with you, you'd have to put a mirror at the end of his nose to see if he's still alive. If ducks weren't flying. I mean, he just, you wouldn't even know he was there until you start shooting a gun, but he was, I mean, he was barking and barking and I made my way over and the duck that had fallen, it did fall dead. It had fallen in the top of a buck brush tree. And that dog had tried to climb the tree and got hung up halfway up the tree chasing that dog, that duck. <laughs> so I, that's what he was barking at. The sucker was hung up in the tree. So I had to go help get the dog out of the tree. And then we had to figure out how to get the duck out of the top of the buck brush. But that sucker, you, you nailed it, man. Grit. That, that dog air, he had it, boy. That's really, really cool. So can you give us a backstory on how you got the name Dr. Duck and how you guys got started with all the social media and, you know, and the podcast and the that Yeti movie that you guys did together was, I mean, it spoke to every duck hunter out there. Um, tell us a little bit about the beginnings of all that and, and where it's taken you. And I, I appreciate the kind words. I'll let Dennis tell you how he got the name, but I, uh, you know, I, I have a background. I worked for a publishing, used to work for a publishing company. I since left that position, but was there for, for 29 years. And, and when social media first started hitting a lick, Dennis, Dennis and I, Dennis runs an air conditioning company. And a lot of times when we're in the field, he's, he's, he's got great people that work for him and, and he tries to stay in close communication with his team, obviously, you know, because everybody got work. You got to pay the bills. You ain't going to get to hunt, you know. But Dennis is, I think, world-renowned for the amount of cell phones that fool drops in the sloughs over the course of time. You and me both, I mean, man. hey, he'll be on that phone. If a duck flies by, that phone's going – it's going in. And and uh, about the time iPhones were getting popular, we'd always try and carry cameras, and inevitably – you. You're going to, you know, we'd, we'd mess up the camera or, you know, all the pictures you're taking are on that little SD card. And, you know, who knows where half those photos even go. So when the iPhone started getting popular, social media just started kicking off. We, we were, you know, we were really early to that game. I, you know, Dennis and I sat down. I was like, you know, the best way, best thing we can do, you need to get you an iPhone, you know, we'll put it in the case and all, you know, we'll take pictures of our stuff, but we'll just kind of save those memories on this Instagram. And, uh, that, that's really all it was for us. I, I had some knowledge, you know, through my experience with the, with our company for marketing and, uh, knew how to utilize hashtags and get other people engaged in, in what we were doing. And, and we, we were very fortunate over that, you know, time frame that we just started getting involved with Instagram to find some, really good success here in east texas on public land and and that's just kind of how it took off and uh i'll let dennis tell you a little bit about the name but but that's how we got started with the social media stuff go ahead dennis tell i mean i'm i'm excited to hear how the doctor got the name the phd himself well it ain't because it's education i can promise you that (laughs) 
Well, you know, all my buddies just started calling me that. Billy was one of them. And, you know, we just, you know, all the time, like he said, I was, you know, in AC business and um, every chance I got, you know, of course, when you go into the winter months, you get a little slow and I had good guys to, to, to t- help me take care of the business. And I still do today. And uh, uh, without them, I, I, I wouldn't be able to do what I do, but, um, but I spent a lot of time scouting and, you know, we were, we were, you know, in Texas is a tough state to hunt, you know, and I tell people all the time, if you kill birds in Texas, you can probably kill birds just about anywhere because Texas is, Texas is real hard. We don't have the big numbers like most states got. Uh, the competition here is so strong. I mean, it's just as strong as it is in Arkansas. I mean, you're going to have a lot of kids, a lot of boats, a lot of competition. So, um, so it took a lot of scouting to be successful. Spent a lot of time out there. And, and you know, of course, and that's how I got, they just started calling me that. And it just picked up. And, you know, I, I didn't even think nothing about it when they started calling me that. I just went on with it. And when we started Instagram, I, I remember the day when we was leaving. We, we we signed up for this thing. I didn't even know what Instagram was. Billy had me sign up on it, and I was just going to put my regular name on there. And he says, no, you need to put your nickname on there. Put Dr. Duck on there. I said, I don't want to do that. And he said, no, you need to do that. And I said, listen to me, do it. So I did it, and uh, and it just grown from there. And uh, I think the Dr. Duck video explains a lot of what we do. And uh, I think it originated with a lot of guys that hunt public. I think it originated with them work that goes in to be successful on public and uh, so that's that's where it came from and you know i i gotta add to that i appreciate the very kind words about the film work and you know it was through social media that a gentleman from california reached out to us uh reached out to dennis through that instagram account and talked about coming out and filming and you know i i can remember him telling me about it we we laughed our tails off and, and just, you know, blew it off like there wasn't nothing to it. And then the very next season, even before the season kicked off, actually, that guy reached back out. And that was that was Benjamin Potter with, with Canna Outdoors. And, and you know, he had – he just – he we finally decided we are going to call him back. He was very persistent. And, uh, you know, we told him, look, you, you can come out here and, and do, do anything you want to do, but we ain't interested in – Paying nobody to do nothing. We ain't interested in film work. We we just kill ducks. That that's what we're interested in doing. And if you want to tag along, you're welcome to come out. We'll you know, we'll have a cold adult beverage and a cooked meal for you and you can stay at either one of our houses. But but you know, we're 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 just we're not into all that. We just we just kill ducks. And you know, Ben Potter come out and he's a great guy and he had a waterfowl background and at the time he was doing a lot of wedding and promotional stuff and he wanted to get back into waterfowl hunting and and you know he did such an outstanding job of of painting the picture that we were interested in painting and it wasn't necessarily about the same stacks that we share through social media at that time but it was about the work you know i think it's if you could sit down and watch any outdoor show and and see him you know slapping mallards in the face on some private hole but we feel like the greatest number of people out there doing what we do are public land waterfowl hunters. And I, and I, you know, call it what it is. I believe those are some of the hardest working, you know, men and women, uh, in the hunting industry. I mean, the things they go through like Dennis, like I've watched him and him and I both, but really him over the years of finding ducks, staying on ducks throughout the year holding holes, you know, getting to those holes successfully. Uh, you know, the work that goes in is, is, 
it's just a ton of it and and i thought ben did a great job capturing that message of the work that goes in and the you know you, we talk about all the time enjoying the journey it ain't about how many ducks you kill necessarily but you know if you like putting that work in and you like that chase and obviously the having a successful harvest is nice to add on top of it but you know we're very thankful for ben and his persistence and his ability to share what we feel like is a, a great passion of ours absolutely hey if if someone hasn't seen that video where can they find it uh you know you, you can actually go to the dr duck has a, a youtube channel and uh we've got we've got three or four films on there this year and some that's really exciting this year is uh that, that we're doing is you know our partners over at realtree there is passionate obviously about the outdoors as, as we are waterfowl and they they, they want the waterfowl to be a, a bigger part of what they're doing this year and they're they're providing a, a digital platform that, that's gonna be like nothing else out there man they've got real treat 365 coming out this year and and innocent high dr duck's gonna be the the focus of that and they're gonna they're putting a camera guy with us year round all season long and and we're gonna be doing weekly episodes this year and it's you know, we don't know what's going to be on there yet, but I can tell you it's going to be there every week. So, you know, people are going to get to see firsthand our, not only the successes, but the work that goes in and the failures that go along with it. So we're super stoked about that. And you'll be able to watch that on, you know, they've got a Realtree 365 app and, uh, it, you know, you, the Apple TV, the Roku, uh, you know, you'll be able to download that app on any of those platforms and watch that for free all season long. That's really, really cool. That'll be really exciting to follow along. I mean, I can't even just think about that, having somebody tag along and get the real – you're going to have to have a pretty cool cameraman. Let's be serious. Dennis <laughs> keeps telling him he's going to have to be pretty tough too. That's right. I, well, you, you know, because we do – I do things a little bit different. You know, uh, that's – you know, the competitive edge that Billy tells you I'm very competitive. That comes out. It's going to be the good, the bad, and the ugly on there. So uh, – and the things that we do things, you know, we don't we don't have the luxury of sleeping in a hotel. So I told Brad Shore that, hey, you have to make sure this guy is mentally tough because the things that we do is a little bit different. There's no hotel rooms. They're not, there's no steak dinners at night. I mean, it's – you know, we get through hunting. Uh, if I feel like that hoe's not going to be productive the next day, as soon as we get through hunting, we're 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 scouting where we're going to go scout, and then we're scouting. And if we don't find what we don't like there, then we're moving on to the next thing. So it's a grind, and you might you know the the, the travel and the time we put into this hunting uh, is a lot a lot of work. So it's going to be a grind. So I just want to make I was telling him I just want to make sure we don't get into week two and this guy says hey. I'm done. I'm going home, you know, so because <laughs> it's going to be a different kind of concept. It's a little bit different from deer hunting or any, you know, any other sport that that you could think of, in my opinion. I, I think that's what separates waterfowl hunting from anything else is the time we have to put in. We might have to put together a boot camp. 100% agree. 100 agree. You need to get him instead of going in a sauna or something. You need to put him in like an ice chest and let him sit there where he can't feel his fingers and toes and see how long he can stay. Well, you know, it's just you know, Bob. I, I, when I get to a spot and there's a lot of ducks there, and and, and Billy testify this, I, I won't leave. We're there. I mean, if you're hungry, you're hungry. I hope you you, you know that's the reason there's snacks in your bag because yeah, we won't, I, we won't I, leave. I was telling that story. We had to. 
we were fortunate enough to get to hang out at Rogers this previous weekend at their waterfowl weekend up there in Missouri, and it's always a good time. They get a great group of people out there, but we had some folks stop by, and we were talking about that. We had a story just last season. Yeah, it may have been actually a season before last, but we pulled up in this. We try not to bump the ducks while we scout. You know, if you, if you can let them rest, get them feeling confident. We turned the corner and saw a couple – ducks pop up a little bit flutter and land back down and Dennis shut the motor down and we sitting there about five ten minutes just listening to all these ducks in this hole we was right around the corner from them you could see down the creek a little bit we we could see just enough to know we in a pretty good position and i was thinking about next moves and this was on wednesday in the season that, that i can't remember if it was the split or the opener of the year but uh the season was going to open up back saturday and and uh, about that time, this boat rolls up behind us, sees us sitting there and shuts it down and pulls up beside us and then says, you know, you guys good? You're just sitting here, you know. Oh, we good. And about that time, you hear one of them ducks holler back there in that corner. And they go, oh, okay. We see what y'all found here. And uh, old boy in that other boat, he says, I guess uh, we're going to be battling with y'all for, for a spot this weekend, huh? And uh, Dennis kind of looks down and said, maybe so, maybe so, you know. And they say, well, all right, well, we'll see you you guys sometime Friday then, I guess. And that boat pulls off. And Dennis says, carry me over to the bank. <laughs> and this is on Wednesday. And I said, what? And he said, I ain't leaving. That's yeah, that's, awesome. the, that's, the, that's the biggest group of ducks we had found in two or three days scouting. So I took him over to the bank, left him, and uh, I went back to town, gathered up our gear our camping stuff that we didn't have with us in the boat that day and picked up some food and drove back out there and we camped there from wednesday night to make sure we had that spot on saturday morning that's, that's just how you that's, that's how you roll that's unbelievable well that's unbelievable. you know <laughs> you know we watched you know you, you watch tyler Baker and nice you know if you ain't first you last so that's just our motto if you ain't first you last the only way you be first is if you get there and there's ducks there and competition and the public ground hunting is is that you know if you want if you want that spot bad enough you, you you'll you do what it takes to get it and so that's that's what we do and so that's why i was trying to spring the real tree is that it, it's not the way we do things i just want to make sure that guy is mentally prepared to run with us because we do things a little bit that's not ordinary absolutely uh, i think a lot of those guys and a lot of people who who have their tv shows they get a guide and the guide takes them to where they scouted and put all the decoys out and did all the work and they pay a guide or the guide does it for free because they're getting, you know, all the publicity of, of being on that show, if you will. And they're not, you know, a lot of people nowadays on TV that they don't, they don't, they aren't doing it anymore. Maybe they did when they were cutting their teeth, but they don't do it anymore. The, the work's not there. You guys put it in there. <laughs> No, nailed it. And we we talk to guys on our podcast all the time about, you know, if you only have two or three days and you want to experience Arkansas timber, you know, we're not critical or we don't dog those guys that, that operate like that. That's a great situation. If you got two or three days, you need to go through a lodge. Go down there with some guys who know where the birds are. They're going to take good care of you. You're going to have to spend a little money, but you're going to get to see a lot of birds and have a great time. Now, if you got a week to 10 days, no doubt about it. You need to go down there, but you got to have time to scout and find those birds if you want to be successful, you know? Absolutely. And I'm not ragging on that either. I mean, I've got 
dogs on my truck whose owners make a living guiding people. I mean, right. Yeah, for sure. I'm just saying this person who's going to be filming needs to be ready for what it takes to be successful. If you're really duck hunting, not just showing up and putting your gun down and your gun, but your uh, blind bag down and, and wait for sun up. That's right, man. That's cool. And, you know, I, we, and I just want to stay true to the public ground. I, I, I feel like a lot of, you know, a lot of these guys it's just getting into waterfowl. I think a lot of those TV shows, they, you know, they, 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 it's a little bit misleading. You know what I mean? So they expect when they go out there to kill a lot of ducks, what they see on TV, and when they get out there, then it's like totally different. You know, they see the other guys out there, they see the competition, and then, you know, they're sitting in a hole. They probably didn't even – they barely seen the duck maybe fly by and not fully understanding what it takes to be successful on public ground. So we want to highlight that in our videos. Uh, that's where we came from. I just don't – I, you know, I don't think it does anybody any benefit just being like – the other four or five shows that you can go on TV and watch, all of them are the same. They either know the farmer or they're hunting with a lodge or something to that effect. And uh, to us, we want to stay true to what we do uh, and how we do it and uh, and just share that, share that. And then also what we're going to try to do is we want to share it with other guys because we've been blessed to have other guys who want to hunt with us. And so, we want to make them part of that video too. So we want to expose a lot of these young guys out there that's doing what we're doing as well. It's just not going to be about me and Billy. I want to, we want to introduce these guys that are doing what we're doing. Uh, so we're, we're going to do that as well. That's really, really cool. Have you guys done any work or follow along with the backcountry hunters and anglers and, and all their public land and stuff they're doing to help us? Uh. I'll be honest with you, Billy would probably be able to answer that question a little bit more. He's up to, he's more apt to find that stuff out and who's doing yeah, what. Yeah, I've, I've definitely seen it. I got to admit, uh, we get so busy during the season, you know, doing what we do that I, I'm not real good about following too many projects. So I, I couldn't tell you a whole lot about it. I am familiar with who you're talking about. Yeah, I don't know. I So it, I mean, I'll give a my 30-second. I don't know a whole lot about them either, but it, it's a group of younger people who hunt and hunt a lot of, like, big game out west, but they've, they're have they kind of like the Ducks Unlimited of public land and allowing more access to average Joes who want to go out and hunt and, and teaching people how to get to the good public spots and try to open up more public spots. And you know how, like, if it's landlocked between farms and you can't, there's no public access to land that's technically public, but you can't go on someone's property without permission. They're trying to open up more access. So it'd be something for you guys to check into. I mean, especially with, oh, you know, who you are and what you represent as a public land duck hunters and the DIYers might be something cool. You guys could work out with them. No, I appreciate that insight, man. That's yeah. No doubt about it. It sounds like it'd be right up our alley to look look a little deeper into that. Yeah, no doubt. Um, can you give some of the people who listen tips on being successful on public land? Like, do you have any little, like, Onyx map or something that gets you ahead of, of the other guys? And, and what's your go-to? Uh, you know, I'm on Dennis's definitely more capable answer but i i think you made a great point with own x you know when we started doing this uh i 
we had a handheld GPS. You know, we didn't have smartphones. We didn't have access to Google Earth. We didn't have apps like OnX. And, you know, it was, it was a great, it, it was a great experience for us at the time to, like we talked about kind of that school of hard knocks, you know, uh, nowadays the technology, not only that you can hold in your hand, but the technology that's, you know, at the back of your boat, you know, the surface drive motor, you know, used to be, man, you, you know, you, you're going to, you're going to go down that Creek. Dennis, Dennis got us a, our first boat that we used was, you know, handed down from, I think Amy's granddad. I think we had a six or nine horse on that thing. And we'd, we'd take it as far as we can. We, you know, we've loaded four wheelers up in boats where we had access with four wheelers and, or we'd, we'd walk for miles to get to these spots and, and surface drive motors that certainly change that game. So when you talk about guys nowadays and advantages that you can get, I think that, you know, these younger kids, they're, they're born in a, in a time where these great technological advances are, you know, they're in everybody's hand, they're available to everybody. So I don't think there's any edge when it comes to that. For me, in my opinion, the real edge is how much work you willing to put in, you know, like Dennis talked about, if you ain't first, you last. Uh, there aren't, Dennis says all the time on our podcast, there aren't any secrets on public land. You know, you got guys chasing shots now. You can, though you hear a shot in one direction, you can whip your iPhone out, pull up Google Earth and see what you missed over there, you know, uh, I mean, it's, it's just unbelievable. So, you know, Dennis does an outstanding job of not only finding areas and ducks are currently in, but finding similar areas based on what's there uh, that, that, you know, just hunches on. Obviously, you're always looking for birds, but he he finds out why they're there, and we find other areas that could potentially hold birds later in the year as a result of that. So I think it all gets back to, you know, making the time, you know, even when we're both working our tails off, you know, squeezing out a couple hours early morning, even if you're not going to shoot, uh, just to see what's happening in that creek bed or in that in that in that beaver pond, you know. And it's all it all for me boils back down to to putting in the work, getting your feet on the ground, despite all those technological advances, and and putting the work in to find the birds. Very cool. Dennis, you got anything to add to that? You know, what I what I what I mainly and I tell these young guys is that you know they're starting to learn. They feel like they, I feel like a lot of these guys they put a lot of pressure on themselves to, to for the kills. You know, so I, I try to you know, of course, killing is a big part of duck hunting, and you know, and but when you're starting out and you're learning, don't don't be scared to move. And sacrifice hunts for scouting. And I mean, like, hey, if you're not seeing a lot of birds there, just keep moving. You might have to end in, you know, it's like I was telling some other guys at Rogers, you know, they was, you know, they've been listening to our podcast on, you know, they found this area where they hunt, they enjoyed it. And now they're expanding this out a little bit further and this a little bit further. And I says, like, listen, now you need to go maybe to a different state, start, start scouting there, learning that a little bit. And, you know, don't go down there and thinking you're going to kill on your first two or three days, or maybe you don't do it at all. But I said, you go back the next year, you just continue to learn that area. And it's just like you're hunting here at home. You'll eventually learn the area. You'll eventually learn how the ducks work or where they want to be. You start learning the routine and you'll, and as you get older, cause they're, you know, they're, they were 18, 19. I said, Hey, time you're my age, you'll be, you'll have four or five, six states underneath your belt. And that's, that's how you get success is being willing to travel, 
sacrifice some of your hunts for scouting. Uh, just don't, you can't just hunt every day, you know. Um, you know, we don't, we don't hunt every day. We, you know, we, we'll hit one hole and we get two or three hunts out of it. If we get two hunts out of it, it's really great. But if, if we get two hunts out of it, it's good. But that third and fourth day, we're back to scouting again. It might take two more days to find another fresh, uh, fresh group of birds, you know. So, uh, that's the thing is just sacrificing some hunting time to, to, to scout and, and, and you'll, you'll have better success and better hunts, better quality hunts. Sure. Uh, is what one of the takeaways I'd have or point out is you know especially when you're starting out it's not about how many you kill it's learning what you learned going out with buddies and your dog and cutting your teeth and learning how to duck call and getting them to commit to the decoys and setting up decoys that's right there's so much more than than filling a strap and having instagram pictures i mean that if we all gauged a successful hunt on the number of birds you killed half the season would be unsuccessful then or more than half you know it's it's more yeah. like the laughs we had i mean i'm gonna shout out my buddy nick i train his dog one of my favorite hunts he was so hung over he was sleeping in the bottom of the boat i'll never forget <laughs> it and i'll never let him live it down you know we just laughed the entire duck hunt and you know I think we killed one bird that day. If it, did we just yeah. one, one bird? So you know, but we had more laughs at his expense, and really, it was great. So, um, yeah. So guys, and that's the thing about that's the thing. That's, that's another thing compared to the other thing, the other sports and hunting. You know, if you want to compare it to deer hunting and all that, that's the, that's things you can't do in a deer blind. And uh, you know, uh, you know, you get to experience that with your buddies. You're out there laughing ducks do come over you hunker down you start calling or working them in but then hey once that once that little segment's gone then you're back to laughing and making fun of somebody or you know or you're talking about just normal life stuff but you know that that's the thing to me that waterfowl attracted me as well as those opportunities there and it's just not about one shot and then your hunt's over for the year or one shot you killed your big buck now you're you know you know you get to duck hunt to me is you you get to relive that you get to share it with more people and those experiences and that's that's what to me i feel like waterfowl is kind of growing compared to anything else because i think the younger generation is you know they're about social media they're about hanging out with their buddies they're about sharing that time together and i think that's what a lot of young guys like compared to the other sports i uh, think so too yeah i just think you know they grow up and you know with the the interweb in their hand where well, we didn't there wasn't an internet you know i think i think to be honest with you today's the internet's birthday i think today it turned 28 years old i heard on the radio today fox news but uh but so there you know our our, our my, my journey started out before there was even an internet but a lot of these guys today you know without even social media they don't even know what that is you know so without it so that's what i think that's one of the things they they enjoy is being out there sharing that time with their friends yeah i agree uh, what is your guys's favorite state to hunt? Ooh, man, I'll be honest with you. It's hard for me to pick one because there's, 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 you know, I like hunting Texas because it is my home state. Washington to me, we, we, we do. It's like our vacation. Uh, that is a private hunt for us uh, out of the season. We kind of plan that around our split here uh, in the South. Uh, it's just a special place. Uh, you know, you're going to go up there and you're going to get your limit every day. But what's special to me about it is, is that the numbers that you see, cause you don't get to see that here in the South really. 
Um, you know, so to go up to Washington State and see all those birds is 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 remarkable thing for me. I, I mean, I, I love it. I love going to the fields and watching all the watching fly. Uh, watching like flying in and out on that lake they got up there it's, it's crazy if you've seen it you would I think you would really love it as well um watch uh Arkansas to me uh just the river systems they got the Arkansas did a great job building the levee system I feel like Texas could probably take a page or two from that state uh, we could do the same thing here to make our hunting improve uh, but Arkansas hunting on ducks in the green timber and watching them come in and flying in that green timber that's that's something pretty special too so uh, it's hard for me just to pick one state uh, i think each one of them has a special thing about it what about you billy uh i'm on the same page with dennis i you know we've we've been blessed to you know start reaching out and hunting different areas and and just like he said i think ever you know everywhere we've been it's it's a different situation and like we talk about enjoying the journey you know it's it's not about the harvest it's about the experience and you know being able to sit in the trees and obviously the history that's wrapped around with the state of arkansas and waterfowl is is remarkable in itself and so to be able to sit in those trees and think of how many people have come before you and and shot ducks there and to see those things you know locked up falling into those tight holes you know it's a completely different experience than being in a field in north dakota or, or canada and or or being over in washington state with the canyons in the backdrop or you know we had the opportunity to hunt the snake river and that river peeling through some of those canyons it's, it's just something you don't see anywhere else and so to be able to chase ducks in those you know unique areas is just is very enjoyable so narrowing it down to one state you know, I, you know, for me, a lot of times Dennis does, you know, we, we split up and we both scout, but obviously he knows where I'm going, but he's, he's the man and he's always been the man as far as being able to find ducks. And, and, you know, when Dennis calls me and says, Hey, I'm on birds tomorrow. I don't ask where, you know, <laughs> I, I ask what time that's it. You know, I, I'm the driver. So wherever wherever i need to be to meet him or pick him up or if he's picking me up that's all I, i'm kind of the i'm a little more organized than he is so i like to get a little plan together and uh, i'll make sure everything goes right but you know I don't, I don't care where it is and you know it's been around the corner somewhere i couldn't believe we'd ever hunt there again or it's been we've left the state and ended up somewhere else and but but you know i don't, I don't care you know it's just the experience for me and that passion that I share with him to, to get after those ducks, man. That's really cool. Now, if you only could kill one duck for the rest of your waterfowling careers, what would it be? That's a, that's an easy one. I'll let Dennis tell you. <laughs> I, I, you know, they, they say I'm a curious, but I'm not. No, they don't they, say he, but, he is. <laughs> it's, it's the Mallard Drake. There's no doubt. I just, you know, it, it. You know, I do shoot other ducks, but I do. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, to, to me, to work those mallards in, you know, I've got to a stage in my life. It's just, you know, 
I, we really want to work those calls. We really want to fool those ducks getting in. Maybe setting up our spread. Maybe it's adding one jerk string or four jerk strings. Whatever we got to do to get those ducks in. You know, just the rest of them in. You know, not saying anything bad about the other ducks, but I'm just saying most of those ducks. You know, if, they, if you're on the X, they're going to come in regardless, and you're you're not guaranteed that with mallards because if they come over on public ground, and I tell people all the time, they're an Ivy League duck. Time to get down the south. They've done seen it, heard it all. And so if they see one thing out of place that makes them feel uncomfortable, they're not coming in. And so to me, to uh, to hunt mallards is probably my favorite duck, and that's the reason why. You, you have to be on your A game to make, to make it be successful in, in the mallard hunting world. So, I couldn't agree more. I think that they'd be my favorite as well. Uh, I have some bucket list ducks on my – you know, species, but, uh, but a mallard duck, there's just something about the relationship to the call and the relationship to the decoy spread and how they cup up and do it right. And I don't know, watching the dog bring it back is very, very fun. Yeah. And if it isn't right, they ain't coming in and it could just be simple as like, you just maybe lifted your head up at the wrong time and they caught just a glimpse of your face or whatever, anything, you know, they're looking they're not the thing about a mallard to me when they like I said before they get down here they're so educated they're looking for one thing wrong they're not looking at all the things right and so they're looking for that one little thing to make them just feel a little bit uncomfortable and once they lose confidence you could be the world champion of champions of champions of champions and those 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 ducks are not going to come in that's just that's just bottom line so uh, you could you could have all the movements you want in that spread. Once they've done figured out that that one little thing, once they see it, they're gone. And uh, that's why we, that's why they're called the Ivy League Duck down here in Texas. So, uh, and those opportunities are far and in between. So, you know, we, we take advantage of, you know, like we get a lot of havoc of covering our face and uh, our hands or whatever, and we're hunkered down because we don't have a lot of opportunities like the other guys getting state in the other state. So, uh, missing opportunities here it might reflect of if you if you get a limit or if you even get a duck so you want to you want to you want to uh you want to make sure everything you're doing right you're not the guy that's running it for your guy your buddy next to you you want to make sure you're doing everything on your end to make sure you're, you're staying down and hit especially if you're hunting with him <laughs> yeah i'm not i don't have well you know there the competition level comes out in me but also you know you, you know, when you spend three days out there, you, you, you're fighting mosquitoes and everything else out there for three days. And then and if you got one guy that shows up and he's a little bit relaxed and, he, and maybe, you know, he's just standing out a little further or maybe he put his dog in the wrong spot. You know, it's I don't want that to run the hunt for the rest of the guys. So, you know, I just think it's responsibility of every hunter to do the best thing they can to stay concealed. Because concealment to me is the key, key to excess on mallard hunting if you're hunting mallards. So I was just going to say, what are some key things in your spread that you like to do to have success? And then concealment, I feel like everybody probably uh, discredits the most or thinks that they're hidden enough. But what do you do to take precautions with concealment? And then what do you do in your spread that you think helps make it more realistic? Well, the things that we do different from other people is we make sure our face is painted. We're well hid. Uh, if we're in the trees, we make sure the tree, you know, I even like putting our, my dog, you know, a lot of guys will set their dog facing the decoys in front on that front tree. Well, 
we don't do that. Our dogs learn they're going to be behind the tree, looking the other direction. Uh, you know, they're trained very well. So, you know, they don't have to see the duck fall to get it. So, um, you know, any any movement out front to me is going to set an alarm off of those ducks. Uh, I think for and, – and Dennis, you know, this is Dennis's line. I'm just going to remind him. But, you know, a lot of people think you, – you said it great, Bob, that, that people discredit the uh, concealment. And, you know, a lot of people, they feel like they're hid, but, but the, the best way, the best way to put it is how Dennis said it, you know, if that, would you be standing right there where you are if that duck had a gun in his hand? <laughs> you know, and it, it's funny as, as many, as many times as you see somebody that feels like they hid, if you put it in them terms, you know, they're going to move, they're going to move a little bit. Yeah, and you're gonna be you're gonna be behind the tree. You're not gonna be beside it. You definitely ain't gonna be out in front of it. You're gonna be behind it. And another thing too is our camo pattern um, with real tree. Now I'm just being honest with you. That new timber pattern, it is the ticket. I mean, it helps us blend. It blends us in with the willow trees, the oak trees, everything, every scenario, buck brush. Uh, and that's that's more of our hunting. We don't have the fields down in the south, basically like most guys have up in the north, but. Uh, the real tree pattern really, really helps us on that concealment part as well. What's that pattern called? Is, and it's, it's new. It, it's new, and it's called it's a timber pattern. Uh, we they they introduced it last year, uh, but uh, it's really hit the market this year. I think all the stores are now carrying it. I think there's just a select a few that had it last year, but now I think it's in wide open deal. So you know, it's a it's a great pattern, uh, and it does it does help with the confidence of staying hid. Very cool. Kevin's pulling it up on Google now so we can look at it. Yeah, it looks just like a tree, man. I mean, it's in, and, and I mean, you're, you're, you're standing right there uh, up against the tree. And if you got your head tucked down, if you're not wearing face paint, that's the reason I wear face paint because I can't keep my big head down. I like watching the ducks. You know, I like, I like knowing, I like knowing how they reacted to a certain way you call, you know, uh, and it, it, are they responding to this way you call it? Or, 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 or you making them shy off of you. So to me, to, to, to really be successful is really watching how those ducks fly. I mean, is their wings picking up or are they slowing down? So uh, you, you, the only way you can know that is keep your eyeballs on them. Looking down at the water and blowing your duck call, you really can't see how they're reacting. So I have to look at the ducks. I'm just, and so I paint my face. And of course, I got a lot of guys that like, they hate it, but to me, it just makes me feel more comfortable. I feel like I'm not flashing ducks off from my guys that I'm hunting with. Um, and so that's the reason I choose to wear it. Very cool. Now, what do you do with your spread uh, to create realism? Do you, Man. Is it like the scouting that tells you duck numbers and stuff like that? Well, I, when I do scout, I do look at the numbers. Uh, on public ground, the numbers that we look at is a little bit different than what you probably look at on private. If you went to a private hole and you had 150 ducks sitting in there and you had a four or five man guy, then you, you'll probably be fine. But if you're hunting public, you can forget it. That's not enough. And and the reason why is because you're going to lose a lot of those ducks. Number one, they're well educated. Number two, you're going to have neighbors that's either going to shoot their shotgun blast is going to flare them off or they're going to try to call your ducks off of you, and they, the ducks are going to get confused. They're flying back and forth from hole to hole to figure out what hole they're going to go in, and usually you lose those ducks. So you're going to lose more than half to, to your neighbor. Uh, so, you, so technically, you just have to cut that number in half because you're going to lose 75 of them to your neighbor. And then you're going to come in groups. You're going to lose the other ones because of yourself. Either you're going to shoot 
at the first two or three, and then there's going to be about 10 more that's hovering above those three. So uh, you just, you got numbers is a big deal to me when I'm scouting. And that's the things I look for. I look at the, the numbers, the ducks, I mean, guys I've got, where, where I'm going to hide all these guys, where they're going to be. Uh, all that, all that makes, makes a lot of determination if I'm going to hunt that hole. I've passed up on holes before that hold great numbers, but our visibility and where we're going to be hidden, uh, we passed on it because I felt like we didn't have the cover to hunt it that day. And I don't care if you see 5,000 ducks in a hole, but if you ain't got the cover to hide, then you're not going to shoot them anyways. You're going to be sky busting, uh, or you're chasing a lot of wounded birds and that's no fun either. So, So we, you know, we'll pass on it. So we, we're looking for when we scout, we're looking for covering the holes, lots of ducks, um, decoy spread. Um, you know, like I said, they're educated, they're Ivy League. You know, they don't seen about every trick, especially when it comes to the spinning wing. It's nothing wrong with the spinning wing, but the guys up north, you know, it just they they've taught them very well. And one of the ways they get taught is in the field. So you know, you got. 500 ducks working a spread. They see two, three, four mojos out there. They come in and you shoot and say if you shot all three birds with, with three of the shells you got in there, but you just educated a bunch of more. And, and each time those ducks see that, they learn. So the time they get down here to the south, they're educated. So what we have learned is, you know, we'll, we'll add jerk string, uh, maybe two jerk strings, maybe a jerk string with a spreader. Uh, we're just creating motion on the water, uh, ripples on the water best we can and staying hid the best we can and, uh, and, and calling. And like I said earlier, we're watching to see how those ducks react. Uh, is their wings pick, uh, picking up or are they slowing down as we're calling? If they're picking up, then we're not doing something right. We got to change. You got to change on the fly. You got to figure it out. And Billy and I, we do a great job of communicating, uh, of, of, you know, hey, they didn't like that. Uh, this is what we're doing. This is what I hit that note. Seeing this duck do that, they started slowing down, and then we then we all start mimicking what he probably figured out or what I figured out. So, uh, I think communication between the guys is a big deal when when you're starting to call ducks. Maybe it's maybe it's three or four guys hitting the feeder call. Maybe you just break it down to one. You pick one out of the group. It, you know, there's just different scenarios that you can use in the duck mind, and it's just putting chess pieces together so you can all be successful. And, uh, so it's just, it's, it's, it's a, it's a fun job for me. That's part of the competition of hunting, uh, really. And that's the reason why I love hunting the mallards is because it takes that type of style of hunting to really, to get those ducks in your decoys. Well, I can promise you, if you hunted with Kevin, you wouldn't let him duck call and do any feeder calls. (laughs) Well, you know, I'll be honest with you, man. To me, uh, and Billy, Billy can confirm this too. Me and Billy, we scouted together enough that we're sitting there and we're listening to some of those ducks in there, and we're like, "There's no way. There's something wrong with that duck." I mean, it doesn't even sound like a duck sometimes. So, uh, you know, we hunt with a lot of guys that doesn't blow. Sometimes, it, you know, if you're hunting the timber, you just you need them to blow. It's just you know, you don't have to sound like a, a world champion or anything. So, uh, but once you get the ducks' attention, once you get that group's attention. And then, then you go to your next step. Okay, once we, once everybody starts calling, say we get this group together, we're, we're all calling. We're trying to get that group's attention. Once we get their attention, then we might break it down to three guys calling. And then, then it might be just me or Billy or somebody. Mainly Billy is finishing them because I like to shoot. Uh, <laughs> so, so Billy will finish them, you know. But we all started off as a group calling, and it just windows down from there. And we, you know, we just talk about what steps we're taking to be successful. And that's that's the things you have to do in the duck mind. You got to figure out 
who's calling the plays and and um, uh, and who's doing what and who's pulling on the string and you know when to pull on the string. Sometimes if you pull on that string when they're looking at you, you could just flare them off too because they've done seen the jerk string several times. So maybe maybe we're just pulling the jerk strings on the turn, just making the way. So when they come over, the water's already moving, the ripples are already there. Right. So it's just trick. It's just tricks that you have to learn over the years. And we're trying to tell the young guys now, try to help them be more successful on those tricks. And uh, so we can get more people involved in our industry. And that's what me and Billy's been trying to do for the last, I don't know, five, six years. And so that's that's a lot of things we talk about on our podcast. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, when With that jerk string, you know, maybe walk through real quick and then we'll we'll kind of jump into the, your podcast a little bit and then sign off. But um, when you're working that jerk string, can you describe what you're watching in the sky and how you're using the jerk rig to, you know, get ducks to commit? And when, like, if they do this, then I'll do this type of thing? Well, it's the, the thing that we watch the most is I, what, what I watch the most is, is, is the wing speed. I, you know, I, you know, there again, sometimes I don't much less watch the lead duck as much because the, the back duck can also be your lead duck just on the turn, uh, you know, if they're turning on you. And so basically, if, they, if you pull on the jerk string, they're looking at you and they pick up their wing speed because they didn't like that, then the next turn you're going to know, hey, I'm, I can't pull that jerk string when they're looking at it. So I'm going to pull on it now and I'm going to create all the motion that I can with it while they're not looking at me, you know, the, the, and then, so when they turn back around, they see the waist on the water, but you're not pulling on the jerk string. Um, and, and then sometimes you'll, you'll have mornings where they don't care. You can pull on it anytime you want. It's just the ripples in the water. They see that and they're coming in. Yeah. Um, so it's just, you know, things you have to watch is the wing speed, how they're reacting, whether you're pulling on the jerk string or you're calling, uh, are you hitting them on the corners? Some mornings they want you to call them all the way in. You're hitting a feeder call all the way down to the water. And you'll learn real quick because if you let off of it, the the the, the feeder call or whatever call you they like, you let off of it, then they pick back up. They feel uncomfortable. Gotcha. And then some days, and then some days, you know, it's just a little limited calling at all. And then the next day, you know, you might be hunting the same hole, and they might want you to finish them all the way down to water. You know, ducks change every day on what they like, and so you just have to figure it out really quick to be successful. I think you know just. We do 99% public land hunting as well. And I think the number one thing people can do is scout. Yes. You, you have to scout. And, and, and to be successful, if you want to be successful, and that's what I'm saying, if we take a road trip, it's 10 days. We're taking three or four, the first four days on the calendar that you're taking a road trip on, just put an X on those days because you're going to spend that scouting. And you might get lucky to find a big group when you get there the first day. But my luck and Billy's luck is taking us three or four days to find them. And, and you know, and then, then, you know, and then we're just continuing to scout as we go. But, you know, to me, scouting is key. And it's the most important thing that you can do. And, 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 if you could learn to sacrifice that, and that's the thing a lot of young guys do, is that they don't sacrifice hunting time for scouting time. So when they take a road trip, they get there and they might find a little small group, they'll jump on them. And then, you know, they're just, and then the next day they're figuring out, well, what are we going to do? Because sometimes it's a little bit too late to go scout. But if you take those first two or three days, scout a few holes, learn the location of it, learn your water level, try to figure out where ducks are working. 
and then it just helps the last few days that you're there. That's cool. Great tips. So I'm going to segue this into if you love these duck hunting tips and you like listening to Billy and Dennis talk ducks, they have their own podcast. Guys, can you tell us a little bit about what you cover on that podcast and what people can expect out of A, the podcast, and B, again, dip into that real tree a little bit and just give everybody a, a taste of what, what's up next for the Dr. Duck crew. Yeah, so I, I appreciate that opportunity very much. We, uh, you know, w- as Dennis mentioned, we, we try to have an impact with a lot of the young guys getting into the waterfowl industry and, and uh, we felt like, you know, we, Dennis is so good, you know, early on social media, the one thing that we made up our minds we had to do, uh, you, you got to have engagement uh, for accounts to grow. A lot of people ask, how do I grow my Instagram account? Well, the number one way you can is engagement. And, and part of that engagement, getting it from other people is, you know, being responsive. And Dennis is just tremendous uh, at responding to anybody and you know, as soon as he can. So, you know, it, it doesn't matter who you are. Anybody that messages Dennis, he's going to get back to him. And, and we felt like it would simplify things if we helped share this information through some other channels. And a lot of guys, we're, we're not great at technology, you know, uh, but a lot of guys have mentioned the podcast being something that they would listen to. And so we tried it and, and uh, as you guys podcast, as you guys have figured out, you've had some growth because you do a good job at it. And and I wouldn't, I don't know that we necessarily do a great job at it, but we we try to include uh, other people that we communicate with. So a lot of those messages we get, we try and uh, address those on the podcast. And you know everything you've heard us talk about today, to be honest with you, we're we're liable to get into on that podcast. And a lot of times we try and do those live on Instagram. That way we have people engaged in the conversation and it may change directions 10 or 12 times. And I'm not sure that's always the best situation, but uh, it's proved to be effective for us. And it's a lot of fun for us. And, and hopefully we, we share a lot of helpful information and the opportunity that we have with our family over at Realtree is, is it's just a great situation coming up this year. And, um, as I mentioned that the Realtree 365 that they've developed at their, that digital channel, it's, you know, it's going to offer the, the same kind of stuff we do on the podcast, man. We're, we're going to be out in the field and we're going to be sharing our experiences and, and the journey with, with everybody that tunes in, whether it's on their iPhone or, or through the app on their television. And we're going to work it side by side with, uh, uh, they're going to set us up on their website so that we can do video blogs weekly. And we're going to, follow the same path we have with the with the podcast that we'll be continuing to do through the season so you know that thing we, we may do that podcast down at the boat ramp with a group of guys we just met or you know you never know how it's going to end up and it's i feel like it's always fun sharing that conversation with other people you know i know i get tired of talking dennis i mean i spend too much time with him as it is so pulling pulling other guys just like we've done today into the conversation just you know makes it that much more fun. So we're we're super stoked. We're fired up. I mean, the more we talk about it, I feel like it's all coming together, and we're just ready to kick off the season, man. I know it's getting so close. I can freaking taste it. Oh yeah. It. Like I said, I've had a fever since last duck season. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I had the same fever. 
But I tell you, I just want people to realize I'm no expert. Billy's no expert. There's a lot of guys out there that's probably a lot better than we are. And, you know, there's a there's a few guys, if I pull up the boat ramp and I see their truck, then, you know, I know my all respects to them because I know, I, know, I know they know what they're doing. And there's a lot of guys out there that probably know a whole lot more than what we know. All we try to do is to share what we know and try to help all these young guys out as much as we can. I think that's that's the whole point of this podcast and and your podcast and and being a leader in whatever you do whether it's being in the AC industry or in the duck hunting industry you know giving back is more fun than taking 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 so you know I applaud it I hope that everybody who listens to this podcast if they don't already listen can jump over and subscribe to you guys and and it is it's just Dr. Duck podcast correct Yes, sir. So they can find it on iTunes, Google Play, anywhere else? Everywhere on the interweb, man. Absolutely. Awesome. And then give give everybody, you know, your guys' Instagram accounts, and if they have any questions, I'm sure they can follow up with you there. Yeah, for sure. I'm the Foul Hunter on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, Dennis is Dr. Underscore Duck, and he's also on instagram facebook and twitter uh we also have a dr duck website uh it's right now it's dr-duck.com uh we're going to be removing that hyphen finally i believe here pretty soon within the next 10 days yeah and then we uh as we kind of give that site a makeover to to be more helpful and then uh we also have a youtube channel uh not all the videos are there but the majority of them are there and and we hope to to share a lot of the content that'll be on Realtree 365 this season. Good deal, gentlemen. I can't thank you enough for joining us on our show. It, I learned stuff. I enjoyed listening to you guys talk about your dogs and your experiences. Um, I hope we can do it again. You know, maybe we'll do a post season. That sounds good to me. I dig hear some stories and I I can promise you we'll be following along on Realtree as well. So from Kevin and I, thank you so much guys. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to click the old subscribe button. If you got less than five stars, go mind your own business somewhere else. (laughs) Dennis, Billy, thank you so much for being a part of our night. Thank you. Kevin, Bob, I appreciate you guys for the opportunity very much. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you. Hey, if you haven't done it already, jump into patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. If you enjoy the show and want to support the show, if this show has helped you and your dog grow together, if you enjoy our Instagram, if we've helped you at all, it's like buying me and Kevin a beer and you get more one-on-one from me. You get content that doesn't hit Instagram or YouTube and it enters you to win a free hunt with me and Kevin in Missouri this duck season. So jump on, links in the description. We'd be happy to have you and love to help you. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.